Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Often, Christians facing difficulties are quick to ask others to pray for them. And that's certainly always a good way to handle all adversity, all of it that enters our lives. The problem is that sometimes God sends difficulties, trials, and adversity into our lives for another another reason altogether that we may not even grasp. And that reason has to do with our not taking our relationship with God seriously enough. We tend to see problems and issues, even if they're man-created, as things that God is not involved in. For instance, people today are talking about weird weather patterns, and many attribute these either to alleged man-made climate change or deliberately manipulated by man, heavy weather, you know, harp or something else. I don't know, honestly, about all the technology that may be available today to manipulate weather. I don't know enough about it to know if it's true or not. I've never studied into it. Regarding climate change, many scientists have gone on record to say it simply doesn't exist. However, these individuals are routinely censored and muted and are canceled altogether so that their voices are simply not heard. But all this aside for a moment, because if... Human beings can manipulate the weather to create catastrophic events, or if humans are causing climate change, I don't believe they are, I don't believe we are, the plain fact of the matter is that ultimately God controls all these things, doesn't he? Well, the short answer is yes. You can't disagree with that if you're a Christian. If you know anything about God and anything about the Bible, anything about the truth of his word, he controls all things in some way or another. So in essence, God controls what comes into our lives, and that truth is repeated throughout Scripture. But let's take a look at one minor prophet by the name of Haggai. His two-chapter book spells a few things out that were not only apropos during Israel's day then, during his time, but I believe are applicable for us today as well. I just want to look at the first 11 verses in chunks from Haggai 1, which could easily produce numerous sermons based on that chapter alone. And I want to highlight ultimately the first 11 verses. But here's the first five. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That was Haggai 1, 1 to 5. Okay, now, what we've just read basically is the setup and the response. For God is about to reveal to the Israelites what he does not like about the way they are living. 
Haggai notes that God spoke to the prophet Haggai during the second year, the sixth month, and the first day of the month of King Darius's reign. You'll recall that Darius was the king of the Medo-Persian Empire who had conquered the Babylonian Empire led by Nebuchadnezzar. Darius's kingdom was the second kingdom first highlighted in Daniel 2, where ultimately four final kingdoms of world history into the future from Daniel's perspective were first highlighted and which will lead up to the physical return of Jesus. Now, Haggai received the word from the Lord and was told to speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest, at the time over Israel. God starts the conversation off with a statement and a question. He told Haggai that according to Israelites, it wasn't time to rebuild the Lord's house, his temple. They were busy with their own concerns and lives. God could wait. Well, the question God asked was simple. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Well, I know you see where this is going. God's directive or command in Haggai 1.5 is very simple and direct. Consider your ways. In effect, God wanted Israel to see their own hypocrisy and lack of concern, loyalty, and devotion as far as God was concerned. Haggai 1.6 is a statement meant to make Israel understand unequivocally several things over which God exercises control. And he wanted them to know that he was in control of including the weather and the harvest. Listen to this, Haggai 1.6. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Wow. Wow. Did you absorb what God said to Israel? They spent a good amount of their time sowing seeds and planting gardens, ostensibly for food, right? But notice that even though the people planted a whole lot of seed, they were still hungry. And they could not satiate that hunger because they simply did not get enough of a harvest. By the same token, they didn't have enough to drink, like the juice from grapes, etc. Potable water was likely not that plentiful either. God goes further and notes that even though they had clothes to wear, their clothing was not warm enough for them to keep them safe from the elements at certain times. Well, notice also that though the people worked and earned a wage, that wage was gone before they could turn around, spent on bills and other necessities. In other words, they lived from hand to mouth. You've heard that expression. Maybe you've had to do it yourself. So in Haggai 1.9, God sums up his point. You looked for much. But indeed, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. My goodness. Hmm. God points out to the Israelites what was actual and obvious, or at least what should have been obvious to them. Why was he telling them these things? Well, God was telling them why they were experiencing the problems they were experiencing in Haggai 1, the second part of verse 9 through 11, which says this, Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, 
and the earth which holds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Did you get that? God called for a drought, not only on the land, on the mountains, but on the grain, the new wine, the oil, whatever the ground brought forth, and on livestock, and on their labor. He called for a drought. All the bad things that were happening to Israel were due solely to one fact. The Israelites had been content to allow God's house to lie in ruins. They didn't care, which means they did not care about God or their relationship with God. What they cared about instead were their own felt needs. That was what was most important to them, their needs, their desires. They were concerned about planning a good amount to ensure that they would have food. They wanted a number of things, but always came up short. They were concerned about having beautiful homes paneled with beautiful wood. God's answer revealed where the Israelites' hearts were, and apparently they were far from the Lord. Haggai's message to Zerubbabel and Joshua was that the people needed to get it in gear. Go to the hills, find wood, and repair and rebuild God's house of worship. It was that simple. But let's be clear here, though, because I don't want this to you know, bring us to a false notion. It was not so much that God wanted his house rebuilt. He did. But he did want it rebuilt because he wanted the people's hearts directed to him. The longer God's temple sat derelict, the more the message went out to neighboring nations that they did not care about God at all. So if they didn't care about God at all, why should any other nation be concerned with or even fear Israel's God? Israel didn't. They didn't care. I don't care either. Obviously, God is not important to them. God wanted people who loved him, cared about the things that he cared about, lived in a way that brought glory to him. God wanted people to have him at the top of their thoughts. He did not want to be an afterthought or not thought of at all. For the Israelites, rebuilding God's house was the place to start because it represented all that God was to them, to the surrounding nations. With the temple rebuilt, the sacrificial system could effectively be restarted and observed. Now, if Israel didn't take God seriously, why again should people from other nations? What is happening in the world right now? In 2022, hurricanes, droughts, flooding, volcanoes, extreme heat, famine, and everything else are creating havoc throughout the world. I believe those who focus on the problems are missing the larger picture. It doesn't matter if people are manipulating the weather or not. It has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't matter if it's due to climate change. I don't believe it is. In the end, everything is due 
to God allowing or using these situations to draw people to him, and that includes those within Christendom. Just because we are Christians doesn't mean we cannot get closer to God. If we take the time to look carefully at the 21 judgments in Revelation 6, chapters 6 through 18, it becomes very obvious that during the tribulation, at least some of those judgments appear to be man versus man, you know, man's wrath against man. You've heard that expression, but that again has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Ultimately, every judgment comes from and is allowed by God. Every one of them, all 21 of them. When Nebuchadnezzar attacked and conquered Jerusalem and took captive many Jews, including Daniel and his friends, we might be tempted to say that it was Nebuchadnezzar, man's wrath against man, against Israel. However, it is very clear from Scripture that God directed that as he directs so much in history. God was angry with Israel, so he dealt with it by using a foreign nation to discipline Israel. So was it man's wrath against man? Ultimately, no. It was God's wrath, his anger, his righteous anger against Israel. It was God's idea, and he allowed it and controlled it. There are tons of examples of God working behind the scenes to affect how things work out in this life and dimension. Tons of them. In scripture. Every judgment in the book of Revelation is directed and or released by God. Every one. In some, he uses angelic or demonic forces. In others, he uses human beings. In still others, he appears to use climate and weather. But lest we lose sight of the larger picture here, the whole purpose of every judgment directed by God, controlled by God, sent by God, not only during the tribulation, but many times in past history and even now, is to bring fallen people to repentance. And people who are Christians can still fall and still need to repent. In Haggai's day, God wanted Israel to repent and come back to him. He wanted them to have a deep, abiding, active relationship with him based on faith, based on love, based on commitment. Israel had spent her entire history coming and going to God, coming and going to God. They come to God one generation, the next generation would walk away. God would get their attention again. Another generation would come back to him. Another generation after that would fall away. They, will, they would come and they would go. There will come a day though when they will come to him and they will never leave him again ever, ever, ever. Now, I firmly believe that what is happening throughout the world today is due to God's judgment. If man can manipulate the weather, God is allowing that for his purposes. If climate change is real, I don't believe it is, God is using it for his purposes. Every purpose can ultimately find its way back to the overriding purpose of God, putting pressure on humanity to repent. This is the main reason why he sends 21 judgments in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 18. The church is not excused from this, and this is clearly evident in the letters to the seven churches of Revelation. Several churches were rebuked 
They were told to repent. The Laodicean church was told that they had reached the point of being worthless and he was going to spew them out of your mouth, which means not that they would lose their salvation, but they would be, re- they would be fully removed from the place of fellowship and blessing. Christian, is your house in order? Consider your ways. Are you focused on God, not the issues of this world? Sure, feel free to notice what's going on, but do so through the lens of Scripture. God wants our hearts. He wants us to worship and adore Him, to give Him thanks for everything that comes our way. Are you doing this? Am I doing this? If not, we both need to repent and get right with God. Yes, you may well be saved. And if so, you have eternal life with God. Nothing can take that away. And if you were to die today, you'll be with him for all eternity. But are you walking with God now? Today? Right this moment? Is God the most important person in your life? Are you in step with him as far as you know? Do you see beyond the judgments, trials, problems, and terrible situations that are striking the earth to understand what God is doing as things move quickly toward the final seven years when God will pour out his wrath with near abandon? God is trying to get the world's attention so that they will see their need for him and repent. And we know from Revelation that it won't matter for many people who will continue to willfully push God away rather than repent. Do not be one of those people. And this attitude is unfortunately overtaking much of Christendom today, as well as too many within Christendom who have the same exact attitude and are too busy becoming friends with the world, which is enmity with God, James 4.4. In fact, James points out quite clearly that God considers our friendship with the world adultery. God is sending messages to the world. He is sending messages. Repent. Repent. This message is also for those within the church who have gradually grown away from God, who no longer seek his favor, who aren't interested in spiritual things anymore. Then the son of Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and the son of Jehozadak, Joshua, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. That's from Haggai 1.12. I'm going to read it one more time. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai, the prophet, as as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Now notice they did two things. They obeyed and feared the Lord. Obedience is absolutely key. Without it, we are wasting our time and God's because of a true lack of commitment or a lack of commitment on our part. A desire to obey followed by actual obedience is prefaced upon a real fear of offending God. We do what what is right. 
We do what pleases him because we do not want to offend him. We fear offending him because we don't want to grieve him. We don't want him to be saddened. We certainly don't want him to have to send things like any form of adversity into our lives because of it. We don't want those things to happen. So we obey. The people did not want God to be offended by their lack of commitment or disobedience, so they changed their attitude and did what God wanted them to do. The only thing really that would have made this situation better would have been for the leaders of Israel to come up with the idea to rebuild the temple without having to be told by God through Haggai. Nonetheless, the people did what they were supposed to do from the heart, and God blessed them because of it. Now, the same holds true for us today. Too many Christians are walking with one foot in the world. One foot in the world. Too many of us are doing that. We're concerned over everything except our relationship with God. We don't worry about that. He is not that important to many of us. And it's evident, isn't it? In the fact that many to most Christians don't read his word daily. They don't attend church or fellowship with other Christians. I get it. Some people have a very difficult time finding a biblically-based church. But Christians need to seek out other Christians for fellowship and support, especially in these days. So they need to keep looking, obey God, and learn to grow the fear of offending him. You will lose concern for the things that are happening, understanding that ultimately those things come from God. We need, as Christians, to consider our ways How important is God to each one of us? Thank you so much for joining me. And until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical conservative perspective. 